Hey everyone, I'm Yvette Lloyd, host of Life Her Podcast. We have an amazing podcast interview coming up. We're going to focus on mental health and you know that is very important. That conversation can never get old and it's always valuable information that you can intake from it so that you could be able to become a better version of yourself and understand the process of healing the process of removing yourself from old things and bringing in the new. So I am excited about this interview. Um, Miss Ingomi. Ingozi. <laughs> she is way in London. So it is 1 a.m. And she is here with us. And this is nothing but a blessing because for her to be up at 1 a.m. In, in UK, you know it's real. <laughs> For real. And it's cold out here. So, yes. <laughs> it definitely is. So, please um, tell us a little bit about yourself and the um, frontline organization that you have. Amazing. Well, thank you, Yvette, for having me on your amazing platform. Hello to the listeners out there in the States. What's up? What's up? What's up? I know it's like 8 p.m. just evening for you guys, where it's literally 1 a.m. dark as everything up here in the UK. So my name is Ngozi Kadma. So it's a Ibo Nigerian name. I come from um, Nigeria, but live in the UK. Um, and I'm a psychotherapist, business coach, and social worker, and a mental health and leadership expert. And essentially, I've created um, an organization called Frontline Therapist, which is an affordable and accessible um, online culturally sensitive counseling service to support Black and Asian individuals to get into therapy. And I also am the CEO and founder of Frontline Coaching, which is a data-driven well-being solution and diversity and inclusion consultation that helps organizations essentially um, future-proof um, their inclusive culture and ensure that people that look like myself and the people that are listening are represented at all levels in the organization. So I'm all about black mental health, mental health in general, um, black leadership and specifically black woman leadership. That is amazing, Ingozi. Did I say it right that time? It's fine. So um, please, Tell me, how did you get this all started? When did you know, like, this is going to be my career direction? I want to help people and I want them to be remaining into the same place mentally and emotionally. Really good question. And I think, you know, I think if we're really honest at times for a lot of people, it you look in hindsight and you see the decisions that you've made and how God has kind of led you to this. I couldn't just sit here and say at age 18, I was like, I know that I'm going to help people and yes. break generational trauma. Um, but it all starts off with curiosity. Like I'm curious about people. Uh, I like to help people. And I was thinking of how can I help people and also be duly compensated. I don't want to work in a job where I'm helping people, but at, right at the bottom and you're constantly upset and disappointed with with the money so it was a bit of both in that way and then in terms of business I, i'm all about seeing need filling need you know a lot of businesses start off with a problem that you are actually having or people around you are having um and then how to solve that and i guess from my own mental health journey and my own mental health difficulties and overcoming that it was like how can i get people that look like me into therapy that on, usually is either inaccessible to us or sometimes highly expensive. So it was like, okay, what can I do to bridge that gap? And frontline therapists and all of the services that I also provide was born out of real needs that we see. There's a lack of black representation in leadership in companies. Okay, well, I'm a, a black CEO in a very white space. I've overcome um, numerous hurdles to be where I am. How can I help others do the exact same thing? You know what's so amazing about that is a lot of people that go into this field and they want to, you know, talk about mental health. A lot of them been through a lot of things in their personal life for them to actually get where they at. What is some of the things that affected you in your personal life when you had to figure out your mental health journey for yourself? So 
I guess I, if there was such a word of saying I'm, I'm a recovering um, person, you know, depressed person, if that if that makes sense. But essentially, a lot of majority of my life, I guess, it'll be until I'm fifty that I can say I've been more not depressed than depressed. But at this point, you know, I've been more depressed than not depressed. Now I haven't been depressed for several years now, but for most of my life, that was kind of my story. It was kind of my normal. Didn't really see anything um, wrong with that until I began to, you know, enter into therapy and realize that oh, this probably isn't quite normal. So, um, depression and um, suicidality. Um, I usually say self-deletion in the case I don't want to um, affect the, the algorithm and stuff. But yeah, self-deletion and um, depression was a big part of my um, journey. And I've, you know, found out that I most likely have, you know, um, ADHD, although not diagnosed. So that obviously was um, what we say comorbid, as in at the same time with my depression. But I just knew, oh, I was depressed, but it is what it is. It's just kind of what you have so those are those were some of my uh, mental health difficulties but I was a functional depressed person so I think it's good to give that context that all of the achievements that I've been having throughout my life I did that while depressed um that's why I kind of liken it to alcohol where you got functional alcoholics they are CEOs they are doing things but they go home and they drink so it was that similar thing outside I'm a happy-go-lucky person, smiling, making everyone else feel good. But when I come home and I'm sleeping at night, I'm absolutely um, despaired and just feeling like, what's the point of living? Wow. So if you don't mind being a little bit more transparent, what were some of the things that were affecting you for you to feel like you, you know, suicidal or even just being depressed? Yeah, I guess... The biggest thing for me, because I've I've been, you know, I've experienced sexual abuse, I've experienced, you know, my dad wasn't in my life, so he he abandoned me. My mom, there was domestic violence, but I didn't know about that, so I couldn't say that that was a contributing factor. Um, but the biggest thing for me was being bullied, like I was severely bullied, like really nearly in every everything. So it wasn't that I, I didn't just go to school and go home. I went to school. I did after school clubs. I did. Um, so many extracurricular activities and essentially in every extracurricular activity and school I was being severely bullied Um, and I think that's really what impacted me because if you know at home you're being told that you're loved there's only my mum anyway so only one person saying they love you and you're amazing but everywhere else you're being told opposite and otherwise um, it's really hard to kind of make it make sense and you know as a children you kind of believe what you're being told and I wasn't only being bullied by kids my age I was being bullied by people you know kids older than me um and teachers and you know adults didn't really do anything it was just kind of just there I mean physically bullied every type of bullying I can think of I experienced so I think that really was what made it what led to my depression because I was you know typically quite a happy child um, so I was always, you know, happy and all of that stuff. But constant, constant relentlessness of bullying, I think I internalised a lot of stuff. So I wouldn't show it in the outside, but in the inside, everything that was told about me, you know, I didn't know I was black until you get told that you're black and ugly. I didn't know I was dark skin until you get told in the UK, we, there's a word called blick, which means like you're dark, 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 dark. I didn't know all of these stuff until I'm told all of this stuff and then you're not oh. understanding. And I didn't go to my mum and say, oh, mum, I'm being called this because she's got her own stresses and, you know, she'll just get really angry going to the school, cuss everybody and then leave. And then I'm left with the fallout yeah. of that. So after a while, it was probably best not to tell my mum because she would just get so angry um, and I didn't want to see her angry. So you just deal with it yourself. And the way I dealt with it was just to be sad internally, but be happy outside, be happy on the outside. Plus the other traumas that I mentioned that obviously exacerbated my, my, my depression. Wow. So what advice do you have for people that is in the mode of being depressed and suicidal or just feeling you know, just feeling just in a way that they just don't want to be here no more at all. What advice do you have for them that don't have an outlook, a village of people for them to be able to go to and communicate with? Or, you know, a lot of times people in um in our communities, they don't think going to therapy works for them. So what are other solutions that they could, you know, reach out to and figure out like, okay, this may help me in this way? Good question. Um, I think there needs to be some level of hope. You know, reality is that 
Yeah, I think research indicates that people that, you know, complete suicide usually lack all hope. So if you're still alive, even if it's barely, even if it's despairingly, it means there's some level of hope, even if it's 1%. And hope can grow. You know, that's what's yeah. amazing, that hope can grow. Hope doesn't, does, doesn't have to stay at 1%. It can get to 50, 80. You don't have to have 100% hope. All you need is 10% hope, even less than that, to say, you know what, I can get up another day. Um, if therapy is not an option in the question at this moment, then it would be about what are, is there anything in life that even gives you an, uh, an iota of hope, of joy? It could be, you know, nature. It, it, it could be cooking. It could be things that for most people might seem trivial. You know, sometimes it's just a little less things that makes you think hope, um, feel good or feel hopeful or just feel maybe for five minutes you don't think about you know, harming yourself, grab onto that, hold onto that, and do that thing more often, um, and do that thing repeatedly, um, until you begin to see hope, I guess, increase. And then in in the in the in the increasing of hope, that's when sometimes you can make better decisions. So when you're watching a cartoon and it's just making you smile, maybe that is the moment to call a hotline and ask for more help. That is the moment to yeah. seek therapy. Because when you're in despair, Everything just seems rubbish. Doesn't just make any sense. So it's about those small pockets, those windows of opportune moments where you're not as depressed, you're you're not as um, despairing, and those are the moments that you say, "This is when I should make a critical decision to change my future." Because in ten minutes' time, I'm not going to be happy, and I'm not going to make that decision. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, that's what I would definitely say, because I think we can give breathing exercises and we can, I can say all of this, but really and truly, what is the biggest reason why a lot of people, you know, complete is they feel hopeless. They feel absolutely hopeless. So the, the opposite of that is having hope. And what is hope? Hope is the feeling that someday something might get better. Um, and you only need 1% of that to, to not make a decision that, you know, is obviously quite devastating for yourself and for family. Right. So with um, we don't have many changes in these past three years as far as COVID, um, people without jobs, people may lost homes, people may mm -hmm. have um, just in a dark space. Mm. And what we can see clearly on social media and everything, a lot of people's thinking process is a lot different. So what advice do you have for someone that's still trying to get out of that mode from us being closed in the home from pandemic and everything? And they're still trying to process everything to get back on track in their lives. So I'm a, I'm a straight shooter, guys. And, you know, some of you might be like, oh, I don't want to hear this. But therapy, I, you, you can't. The, the, the thing is, or I say this, if you're in the picture, you can't see the frame. You cannot get out of things on your own. In, in all honesty, self-reflection, self-awareness is, is all well and good, but there's a limit to the level of self, anything you can begin to do, right? You know, um, the pandemic is, is, it might be a weird, weird analogy, but the pandemic happened because people interacted and a contamination f um, spread, right? It couldn't. It didn't happen in the isolated incident where one person had it and they were isolated and nobody around the world had it. They had to interact with somebody else. I mean, that therefore meaning that everything is everything in the world is about interaction, um, whether good or bad. So therefore, you cannot get out of your situation on your own. Now, I understand that therapy might be expensive, so it might be thinking, okay, I can't do therapy. What is an alternative of therapy? Support groups, peer groups. You know, there's lots of peer groups and online groups for free, even some books that you can begin to read. You can get, you can go to a charity shop and get some books, self-help books. So essentially what I'm saying is that you can't do it on your own. You cannot sit in your room and think that your thinking is going to somehow manifest in a way that takes you out of your situation. Because if you haven't come out of the situation now, I don't think your thinking is going to do anything more. So you need to have another, another, entity be it therapy be it a support group be it a book you need to have another brain to support you in that and you can get that through these tools that i've mentioned so be the best obviously option is therapy but you can get it in reading books because there's another brain that is 
essentially stretching your mind to think outside of your normal thinking patterns because that's what it is when you're stuck within covid when you're stuck in your life you're within your normal thinking patterns right you're not able to see beyond your thinking patterns so you need somebody else is thoughts to yeah. penetrate that and help you see something differently and that can be done by essentially meeting other people interacting with others that think differently and can make you go oh i never thought about it that way mm, okay let me consider that that is true so what a person just believe a person that is an overthinker because sometimes a lot of times people will be in a position in their lives when they are doing great but they look for that validation of someone saying, oh, you're doing a good job. Oh, you're doing this. You're doing that. However, it is times when we have to face the reality of the fact that we have to know that we are doing well. We have to know that we can move forward. We have to know different things. And it comes with self-love. Can you explain to people how self-love um, is very important when it aligns with mental health? Okay, so I might give a different perspective to the in the way you 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 phrased your question. So self love is essential, but self love self love. I don't believe in this idea. You just love yourself. I just don't think that makes sense personally. Self love usually comes from something external. What I mean is that a child knows that they are loved. Um, a child loves themselves because they're loved by their parents. So when children grow up in a loving household, they love themselves. That's that's what ideally happens. Why a lot of us come, why a lot of people don't love themselves because we come from broken homes, we come from lack of love. So love cannot come out just by itself. So self-love has to come from some sort of validation. Uh, and that means you've got to seek for evidence because I can tell you to self-love, but if you're constantly being told um, in your workplace by a family that you're doing unloved, it's gonna be very hard to develop self-love. So the first, first point before you even Get to self-love is finding evidence that you, you are worth something, be it from scriptures, be it from your community, be it from family, be it from friends and workplaces, right? So if you're not in that environment, um, then you might have to seek to get out of an environment, um, depending on the context, I'm saying you leave your family, but somehow getting into an environment where you're constantly validated that you are good, that you are worth that, then that's how self-love develops. But I don't, I can't, personally, as a therapist, I don't think self-love comes as a vacuum and you just sit there and you just think and reflect on yourself because you don't, your mind will start to go naturally to negative things. So how do you counter negative things? You look for positive things in your life to counteract that. But positive things can only come usually from some sort of level of external validation, right? Somebody saying that, wow, you did really, really well. Oh, wow, that was really, really good. And you go, oh, wow, bookmark that, bookmark that, bookmark that. Then you look back and go, wow, so many people think this of me, that it must be true. The reason why a lot of us don't feel like we're loved is because we've been told that, or we're not even being told to be loved. So the absence of not being loved is I, I'm not lovable. So I, I thought that's important to say, because I think I hear people kind of saying self-love, like you just find it. You can't just find self-love. This doesn't just come. It typically does come from an environment that is reinforcing, then it helps you to then um, build self-love. Yes, that is true. Because, um, you know, a lot of times people, you know, people have a hard time loving themselves. They they really do. And it's not even intentional. Sometimes they never know exactly what love feels like. So they think certain things that they experience in life, it is love when it really mm -hmm. isn't. So, so how would you explain to a person on actually knowing the difference between the two because a lot of people fall into deep depression when they are not given love a certain way that they want. That's really, 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 really good question. Um, so the question you're asking me is that how do you, how can people distinguish that this is, this is good, like what well, this, this is love, that like they're being loved well, they're being loved right, right? Yes. Okay. So it's interesting because, like you said, if you have not experienced what you know good love should be, then it's going to be hard to distinguish it, you know, or not. You're 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 likely to go down the route of finding love in the wrong places. Um. So it is. You know what? Actually, it's about researching. 
Because if you don't know what love is in your own experience, then I can't tell you you need to speak to people or, or find it because you can't find it. The people that you're attracting, people that you're around, families that you're just dead are not showing you love. So it really is about finding people who talk about love and talk about what love looks like. And love looks like, you know, it, 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 we say unconditional. What does unconditional mean? Unconditional love, unconditional regard is somebody that loves you for you, flaws and all. Yeah. You, 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 got, you got a buck tooth. You're, whatever it is, you're flaws yeah. and all. They love you for that. And they want you to do better. They wish you to be better than you are every single day. And and they may, they're, not, they're not perfect. They may not tell you in a way, because you don't want to get into a point where there's perfection of this kind of love. It doesn't exist. But ideally... It really is about a person that sees you, doesn't know all of you, because even you don't know all of you. I don't know all of myself. Yeah? That's why we're evolving and growing as human beings. But essentially, from what they can see of you, they love that. Even if they don't like everything that you do, they love that. Even if they don't like the fact that you're self-medicating on drugs, but they love you. And they want you to stop doing drugs. They support you in the process of withdrawing. They support you in the process of getting getting sober. All of this different stuff. That is what love is, you know. So if you don't know what that looks like, you've got to begin to research that, you know, going on YouTube. So you can then begin to see signs and symptoms of, okay, if this person is saying love is when a person checks up on you, but I got friends and family that never check up on me, but I check up on them. Hmm, what's going on there? Does it mean that they love me? Or does it just mean that they're not showing love the way I need love to be shown? Because there is a difference as well. Love you, and we know love languages essentially, but the way they express love, you don't receive that because it's not the way that you receive love. So it's also about knowing that, but you do that by learning, education, knowledge, research, right? Yeah. You've got to look outside of your your everyday experiences and be willing to take that risk and say, look, I can't go to my mother or my sister or my uncle or my daughter because I don't they don't know what love is. I don't feel that they love me. I'm not sure. So let me jump on YouTube. Let me ask questions and say, okay, what is love? What does a good love look like so that I can then begin to see how I can show that, how I can receive that, yeah. and then how hopefully, potentially, my environment may or may not change. Yeah, that is... That is um, a great perspective on how you put it, too. I really like that. Um, so please tell me, how did you start Frontline Therapist? How did that even come about? Oh, that's a good question. How did I stay up Frontline FT? You know, I started it like I think a lot of things do. You, you start it because you want to help. I just wanted to help. I just really wanted to, you know, match um, black people and Asian people with therapists that look like them. I wanted to give them, I wanted to give people like myself power and choice. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a, we've got a system called NHS. It's like a health system and there's free therapy on the NHS, which is amazing. But obviously you can imagine that because it's free, they've got a long waiting list. But as majority of therapists don't look like me, that's just the reality when we're, we're a minority within a, a minority. Um, when you go to when you go to the NHS and you'll get given a therapy, you'll get given whoever. And obviously you're just grateful because you'll know that it's free. So you partly feel like you can't really complain because it's free, right? right. So that means your choice and your power is taken away from you because you've got to just take what's given. Whereas in my service, essentially, there's a level of power and choice. You're able to say, I want a black therapist, or I want, you know, a black female therapist, I want an Asian therapist. So you're able to essentially, you know, request a preference and um, and get matched with that preference. So I yeah. think that's important because that's about personal agency, saying that I want to get therapy to heal because the trauma that I've experienced was not my fault, but it is my responsibility to heal. And I am going to request a therapist because that looks like me um, so that I feel more comfortable. That's all about personal agency. So um, that's how I started. Oh, Wow. So from you starting, what are some of the things that you notice in the black community and is something that we really need help with that's very consistent that you see all the time? Really interesting. Um, 
I don't know if it's similar in the African-American um, community, but I think it is because obviously I do a lot of research. Um, but one of the key things that I noticed was the breakdown of relationship between mother and daughter. Um, oh. I, I, I found that very, very fascinating, um, you know, and the level of narcissism within the black um, community that I don't think is talked about, particularly from the female side. I mean, we hear a lot of men are narcissists, but, you know, a lot of our mothers have narcissistic tendencies and it, it, it has affected mm-hmm. um, the relationship as an adult with your mother. And, it, you know, uh, yeah, I, that I found quite poignant in, in our community. And I would say a good 60 to 70 percent of the bear in mind, I don't assess anymore. I've got a team that does that. But when I was doing the assessments, um, I would say a good 60 to 70 percent of the particularly black women that I, I um, assessed had difficult relationships with their mother. Wow. So when, when a woman has difficult relationships with their mother, um, you even stated that they have narcissistic ways. So what is something that you notice as the, the a child grows up to be an adult and become a mother herself? Do you find her using those same tactics on her own child as well? Like generational, just going down the line because that's all she knows. That can happen. Um, I didn't necessarily see that um, in the, the, the woman that I worked with. Um, I didn't necessarily see that. I think a lot of them they were scared that they would do that. It was more like fear. They were scared. They were scared to have kids because they genuinely um, did not want to continue the patterns of their of their of their mother or their parents um but yeah that, that can happen and that's probably why our parents are the way they are you know because um you know of how their parents raised them and there's 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 we know there's a lack of critical insight that our parents have you know we don't, they, yeah. don't, they don't reflect our parents don't typically reflect so um that's one of the disparities between our generation and our parents' generation is that we, we are beginning to reflect more and say, we're beginning to question some of the way we do, why do we do this? Why do we smack? Why, why do we raise our voices? Whether rightly or wrongly, whether you sit, you sit on the, those, those arguments and those discourses, you're asking why, where our parents didn't ask why, they just did. My parents, my mom hit me, so I'm going to hit you. No. Um, okay, but why? You might you may still do that, but do you know why are you doing that? You know, is it just because your parents did that? You know, I'm not I'm the child that you've born may not I may not be you when you were growing up. So are you just do, treating me the way you were treated? You know, our parents didn't think that. So I would say that a lot of the clients, by the fact that they've made a decision to go therapy, are changing the narrative because they're making a decision. They've noticed something within themselves and they want to change that. Um, but you find that. It, it affects their self-esteem. It affects mm-hmm. their... I think what I've noticed significantly with a lot of Black women is that a, a lot of Black women are don't achieve um, their ambitions and don't achieve all that God has called them to do if they've got difficult relationships, not just with their mothers, but if they've got difficult mm-hmm. relationships with their parents. Because if you're not in a supportive, validating, affirming environment, it's very difficult to go out into the world and be all that you can be. Because if you can't be that at home, how can you be that outside in the world? Yeah, that's true. Because it's like you'll be contradicting yourself, but you will be unconsciously performing that type of behavior because you don't know any better. So with you having the fact of going to a therapist or even watching motivational videos and different things of that nature to educate yourself on how to treat people, treat your child and just being able to heal in those areas. Cause what do you think about people that's holding on to trauma from um, broken relationships with their parents and grandparents or even boyfriends and girlfriends? So I had this different, this, this is stratified. When I say stratified, I mean that I have different responses, right? Because on one hand, I might come across harsh. On the other hand, I might come across pandering. I, I think it's sad. And I think that there are situations where it's so, you know, it's so tragic that a person hasn't sought help. Then I also think it's slightly selfish. Um, there's a level of, you know, ignorance is bliss and you're enjoying your ignorance or you're, you're choosing to remain in an ignorant yeah. state and continue, continue. We've, there's a level of responsibility that's got to be placed 
on what we meant, what we used to call victim or survivor, because they, there is enough knowledge now to realize that what was done to me was not my fault, but can I continue to perpetuate this in my life in different ways? I need to take responsibility to deal with that. At the same time, you know, some people are truly ignorant. Some people are really in an environment where they don't even know that this is an issue. This is just their normal. So there's different responses depending on where people are at on their journey, where people are in what context, but there is a level there's also a level of blame that needs to be attached when people continue a cycle, particularly a very harmful cycle to their children, to their family, because that's the situation we're in, right? We say that we're going into therapy, but the people that should be in therapy are not in therapy. They continue to perpetuate the harm that's been done to them and essentially using that as an excuse because harm was done to them, which is not fair, because then who breaks the cycle? There needs to be somebody that says, you know what, I'm going to take responsibility for the thing and own up to what I have done and what was done to me that wasn't my fault, but you know, I now need to take responsibility so that I don't continue to perpetuate the harm and the cycle. It will never, it will never continue, and it'll be a chicken and an egg. Well, I was abused, so I'm hurting other people. Well, I'm, I was this, and I was that. And so, where do you kind of say, well, who takes responsibility yeah. for a continuous cycle of sexual abuse that we see in the black communities? Just like, oh, well, you know, we just don't talk about it. it just happened. No, no. Where would where do you say this is not going to happen to my daughter? This is not going to happen to my son. I'm not going to have um, this next person in my house that I don't know. Like, where does somebody draw the line? Where does somebody say no? I'm going to speak out on this because I don't want this to continue for another generation to another generation. So, what is something that you notice that happens often, often when people come to you for help or when you are? giving them a therapy session that you notice in a black community that is very consistent amongst all in this generational cycle needs to be broken. Uh, secrecy. Yes. That's what keeps um, abuse alive. Secrecy. Don't tell anybody, tell anybody you're going to be punished. And then even if you don't get told that you feel disgusted and you feel shameful, right? That is what violation does. Unfortunately, when violation comes into your life, the person that was violated is usually the one that feels they've done something wrong. It's the psychology of trauma, the psychology of kind of, you know, uh, uh, abuse. Um, but secrecy, secrecy is the power that keeps it going. If things were exposed, if that if we knew that person was a PD, like you know, Peter, Peter, if we knew that person was an abuser, oh yeah, they would probably stop because they realize that there's going to be police watching them. There's going to be people that, that it could it wouldn't happen as much. People still do things. It wouldn't happen as much because they're being exposed. Right? God says that everything that's done in the dark will come to light. If light was being seen all the time. Yeah, who, how would you be able to abuse somebody when someone is your abuser? You wouldn't get a job anyway. You things Consequences would begin to happen for the abusers, but secrecy, a lot of these things, a lot of um, abuse is perpetuated in secrecy. Right. That's why cults and all of these things are done in secret. So you can't do it in the light. You can't do things mm -hmm. in the light. You know, a lot of really abuse doesn't happen. Like, you know, rape doesn't just happen daytime because people are looking. It usually happens in a in the house where no one can see in dark because the whole idea is to be done and then the person does it and can get away with it because it's done in secret. And power, of course, and you know, power and all that stuff, but secret is the power of it. The issue of it is secrecy. Yeah, it is. Um, they do keep a lot of things bottled in. And you know, that comes with, you know, how your parents are like, don't tell nobody my business. Whatever yeah. happens in my household stays in my household. Yeah. So a lot of times that that saying becomes trauma because when you end up growing up, that's what you like. Oh, don't tell nobody. You need to keep people on my business, but it has to be an outlet somewhere where it's someone a part of that village. For them to be able to help you and grow in life and heal in so many aspects and depending on however it went within the relationship that you have with someone that's in your home or something. It even, it even goes with like molestation, you know, maybe mm -hmm. Uncle Jack molested my mom when she was little. But at the same time, as I got older, Uncle Jack molested me, too. And Melissa, you know, it, a lot of those things could go down the line and that will yeah. come with secrecy as well and not speaking up and not doing nothing about it yeah. and standing up. So it creates people to be muted with their voice, yeah. 
and not be able to speak up. Yep, exactly. So, you know, secrecy, concealment, um, that is, I think, one of the biggest issues in our community. And in any community that abuse occurs, in any situation that abuse occurs, secrecy is there. You know, and that could be because of fear of risk of jeopardizing your job, risk of jeopardizing something, but there's a level of secrecy. Hush, hush, shh, shh, don't say nothing. Mm-hmm. So, and it happens and it happens. That's why the Me Too movement, all of these movements that happen is what happens, exposure. The opposite of secrecy is exposure. So if more exposure occurs, then abuse will still occur because unfortunately it's just a really bad side effect of uh, the fall of humankind. Um, but less of it so, and if it happens, it'll be nipped in the bud quicker because you've exposed that person very quickly. But instead, you know, for many reasons, and some of the very legitimate reasons, secrecy remains, a lot of it is down to fear. Yeah, it does, definitely. So please tell me what type of services you provide if someone will ever need to reach out to you for help. So um, for those that want to work with me directly i can work internationally as a coach um or as a therapist um and i provide um therapy and coaching i do have limited spaces because i'm booked and busy um because i do lots of other things so that's a way of working with myself obviously frontline therapist um we do have a few people in the states but of course it will be easier if you're in the europe kind of um zone and or you know part of africa kind of zone but you can work with myself or work with my partners online um, and organizations. So if you feel like an organization needs, you know, diversity and inclusion um, and um, understanding mental health, particularly in a black space, in a black community with black women, especially, um, how can black women ascend the leadership pipeline? How can we look after our mental health in the workplace? How can we look after our mental health just in general? Yeah, get your HR department or your learning and development department or your talent acquisition or whatever they're called to basically contact me at Ngozi Cadmus, N-G-O-Z-I, C-A-D-M-U-S-N-G-O-Z-I-C-A-D-M-U-S on all social media platforms. And you can just connect with myself and then my team will kind of get back to you. Um, And we can really see how we can support you as an individual or support you in an organization um, um, form as well. Wow. So when is, when do you feel like one of your biggest accomplishments while giving someone a therapy session and helping them with their mental health oh amazing um one i think the thing the thing that i see with my personal my private clients what makes me so proud is that they work so hard and what i mean is that they they what makes therapy alive right i see you typically coaching therapy for potentially one hour a week one hour a month one hour fortnight so you're spending most of the time outside of the therapy room what makes therapy powerful is you self-therapizing yourself once you've got in the tools so when i when we talk and when we discuss and i'm raising your awareness because therapy is really about raising your awareness essentially opening you up to tools that you never thought you had gaining tools that you never once had unlearning behaviors Mm -hmm. and relearning um more adaptive behaviors right but it has to continue outside of the therapy room what makes therapy ineffective if you go into your space and you forget whatever you spoke about. But what I find with a lot of my clients is that they put in the work. They will come back the next week, the next month, the next couple of weeks and say, you know when you said, I'm like, oh, you remember? They're like, yes. We'll come back with, oh, I wrote this down in my notebook. Oh, you wrote that down? Yes. They basically put in the work. So I see a lot of rapid, um, and I do long-term therapy, so I can work with someone for years, but I do see a lot of rapid changes because they put in the work. But the clients that don't put in the work, then, yeah, it takes a very long time to see um, a lot of changes because they come into every session like it's a new session, meaning that, like, what we did last week, we're doing it again, which is fine, but it just means that things go slower because, essentially, yeah. every new session is a new session where the clients that do the best are the ones that, from that session, it builds upon, builds upon, it builds upon. Oh, wow. So um, what is a message that you have for someone to be able to move forward in life and find ways to heal? 
get seek mentoring, seek coaching, seek therapy. If I told you the amount of coaches, supervisors, mentors that I have, you would drop your mouth. I have coach or mentor in every, nearly every area of my life, from nutrition to obviously my mental well-being to all of my business ventures to anything. Anything I want to do, I seek support and help for it because I'm like, you know, I want shortcuts. And I don't mean bad shortcuts like get rich yeah. quick schemes. I mean there are people that have made mistakes that have overcome. Why am I going to make the same mistakes? They they can help me future-proof my success. They can help me essentially circumvent certain things that they went through. I still have got to go through a journey. It ain't easy. But essentially, with their wisdom, with their support, so I would essentially say begin to build your advisory board. Not every, not everybody's like a mentor. could be a solid friend. But I've got an advisory board of about 12 to 15 people that, you know, on a regular basis a month, I touch base with them and they're constantly supporting me. So the reason why I'm even able to do what I do, um, especially when you're ambitious and you've gone through the amount of trauma that I've gone through, you need, I need constant feedback and validation. I don't mean someone telling me oh, I'm amazing. I just mean I need constant support. Um, and there's nothing wrong with saying that. So all of the best um, achievers in the world have coaches, have mentors. And so you need that too. And if you can't afford it, there are, there are so many free kind of, you know, opportunities that you can find a mentor that will just work with you for free and support you and guide you to kind of help you navigate life, navigate your career, navigate your relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Well, I really appreciate you for even just taking time out to educate people on mental health and leadership because it is very important we can never go out of style with this conversation nope. we can always gain and develop information and even become a better version of ourselves which that's a lot of things what people are trying to do now i'm starting to see more people wanting to heal instead of continuing on with the bad habits that they've been having for previously years which we are going in a pretty decent direction, but we still got a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of work to do, but we are getting there. And I think platforms like yourselves um, are doing an amazing job. We need more platforms willing to have challenging conversations. They're not the same repeated, like, just love yourself. Just manifest your dreams. What do they bloody mean? People are sitting there going, uh, okay. how, how, how? No. how do I love myself how do I manifest well, I just sit there and imagine and it happens no there's things that you've got to do there's things you've got to put in place we need more in-depth discussions that that people elaborate so it can help people um, and we, people can begin to change their lives and utilize their personal agency to change their lives despite the barriers that we do have against us especially as, as black folk Yes, people got to understand if you want the help, you still got to do the work. Uh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, we wish we didn't, right? We wish it we didn't, but we have to do it. But it's <laughs> worth it. I can tell you if somebody who's been in therapy for over eight years, um, I'm still in therapy. Um, yeah, where I was then is very different to the way I am now. And if not, yeah. people committing to at times a very painful process but absolutely rewarding i can say i am not depressed i've not been depressed for years i've not been suicidal for years but there was a time that i thought that was just going to be my life forever so i i can tell you that there is truly a light at the end of the tunnel but you gotta walk through that dark tunnel to get to the light yes definitely do (laughs) that is amazing but you know what do you see um as far as relationships um, between women and men. Because, mm. <laughs> you know, that's a that's a whole nother level when it comes to mental health between women and men. And a lot of times we have a lack of understanding each other. And especially when women are more dominant now and more you know, women are stepping out and becoming their own self-made type of a woman. So how would you go about that conversation? Um, so now, girl, that's a, that's a, see, I, I see things, I see holistically, there are different, when you look at the, the discourse between men and women and then in the black space, black men and black women, people are not listening to each other. 
that is really what is going on. Yeah. They're not listening to each other. They're using sound bites. They do. They give. They're bringing on statistics and throwing at each other. Uh, black women are the most educated in the world. Well, black women, you're going to remain single because you don't want no man. You want high value men. And uh, uh, you, you don't want a mother woman. We want to. We want a, a feminine, um, smart. All of these things that you see. It's just like, oh my god! Like, can somebody? Can we have researchers? Anthropologists, what we really need in this conversation is black anthropologists that can tell you from the 1900s what occurred and what happened after the slave trade and when people started to work. So we can begin to see the decline in the black family, the decline in relationships and actually see the, the sides of how men felt emasculated and removed from the home, and how women took on the more matriarchal role and then became more dominant, and how feminism um, and the second and third waves that didn't include black women in the first, people have to blame feminism on the rise of black women, but that like, wait a minute, they didn't actually include that in the first few waves. Yeah. There's so many different, um, uh, what, would you, what would you say, uh, structural forces that occurred and happened that affected the black, you know, family in the relationship space. But then now you have 22, 23, four-year-olds on podcasters chatting and throwing out sound bites from research they found on Google without understanding the the historicity of the situation and the context. So how did we get here? What were the forces and, and factors and the structural things that affected the situation where you do have a situation where black women, particularly in America, are the most educated minority group ahead of black men and then when black men get into higher powers they turn to go interracially there's all of these different factors so i can't answer that question because i i come from a very research um informed place and i don't feed into certain narratives but i am not an anthropologist and my focus a lot of it is on mental health and leadership so i need somebody else really to help me give us a picture of the black scope um, not only in America, in, in the UK, in Africa, in different regions, so that we can begin to have a better conversation other than yeah. uh, black women, you're angry, you're, you're too this, and black men, you're trash. Like, the, how is that helpful? So all I'm basically saying is that anyone that has those levels of discourses, stop it. Begin to listen to the opposite sex and understand their frustrations. Whether you agree with it or not is not what is important. They have valid frustrations. Men and women have valid frustrations. We have to listen to each other so that we can understand. If not, we're going to be at this, at loggerheads, and essentially doing the exact same thing that we're accusing the other group of doing, just coming from different talking points. Yes, that's really true because, you know, accountability is very difficult between two individuals that have a strong ego. Then you have communication where someone don't know how to intake what someone is saying and they actually go into attack mode or they end up getting frustrated and just start yelling and screaming at each other when the calmness of a communication is basically how you speak to people as well you have to speak with respect and not so aggressive and be passive aggressive with it then you also have the fact of um two individuals that really just need to remove just in the relationship also you just not for each other and you have to understand that and be able to move forward and go on with your life mm. so it's a it's a whole thing of it but I feel like um, a lot of people should get some sort of um, therapy or yes. something. Before. Therapy. Yeah. Like, see, this is the thing. We live in a very prideful and arrogant world that in nearly every area of your life, you will seek support. If you were looking to get a car, you will go to a car, you know, a car place and they will tell you about this car. You know, unless you're a very car enthusiast and you know about cars, I love cars, but I don't know about cars. I need to go to a car person, tell me what they're called right now, uh, and they will tell me this car has this hydraulics. Da, 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 da. When you're doing a job, you seek out everything in life. You even for food, food, you got you got a recipe book. But when mm -hmm. it comes to relationships, because you've had two or three string of relationships, you become an expert. Like you, you came from a broken household. And I say broken. I don't mean parent, parents not being there, not being. There. I mean like you don't come from a household that is all, all very healthy. Not everybody. Some people do. You haven't got a secure attachment with your family, but you expect to get into a relationship and know how to navigate that. 
and then go on podcasts and talk about relationships like you're, you're an expert. It really irritates me. Go and seek out help. Go and seek out yeah. therapy to understand. Doesn't mean that you're going to go marry the person, but what it means is that I communicate this way, you communicate that way, we want to communicate better, whether it's for each other or for future relationships. I didn't learn that at home, so how do I expect to learn it in a relationship? That's the bit I don't really get what people do. Exactly, because it creates that everyone thinks they're right. <laughs> That's it. That, that is basically it. Nobody wants to admit that if majority of us, majority of us has come from households where we are unlearning things. So, but then we were basically what we're doing is that we're using relationships to therapize ourselves. That's, that's really what it is, really, because you know, we use because I don't understand. How, I'm saying it for myself, like, if I'd known about this sooner, my first relationship I would have been in couples therapy, however, I wasn't therapy in my first relationship, so I guess I could argue that. But I think as soon as you get to a certain age, you should en enter therapy. I think you should have therapy before you enter into relationships, especially if yes. you haven't seen what love is at home. How do you expect to go into a relationship at age 18 and you come from a broken household? And then, then, then you wonder when you get to 25 and you're really broken, you're like, wow, what happened? And I need therapy. You know, if we began to make therapy so accessible, children will be having it from when they were kids to understand, how do I express myself? How do I, how do I express my emotions? I don't bottle up inside. Yeah, we would have a very different society. That is true. Because, you know, when everyone thinks they're right, it, mm -hmm. it causes a lot of confusion and misunderstandings and then no. everybody gets offensive and then it wouldn't be right so a lot of times i feel as though people should get in between relationships not getting back into one and not actually and not being sexually active with someone i believe the fact of getting therapy in between and communicating with someone that is a professional to be able to help you because you have to become a better version of yourself some time in your life and actually hold accountability for your actions and the things that you're doing and be honest. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people don't be honest when they're communicating like, yes, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I did that. I shouldn't have done that to you. I have issues that I need to deal with and I'm taking it out on you. Like it's just things like that where people need to start understanding that concept. Mm. Let me let me give you an example. Think about it. So, an eighteen-year-old, because you know, even at sixteen, you've you don't know yourself because you're, you're only sixteen. You never know yourself, but you don't know yourself at all. Like your your personality is developing. You get into a relationship. You break up at twenty. You get into another relationship about a few months later. Is usually what by thirty you realize. Well, I've had a string of long-term relationships. I've never been on my own. Who is Yvette? Who is Ingozi? Like. It's crazy that we even encourage young people to be relationships so quickly when they don't know themselves. That's where a lot of damage happens because you don't know how to communicate. There's a lack of locus of control. You don't have to self-control yourself. You, you react so easily. All of the things, so that's, that's why you get then even people our age chatting on podcasts thinking, oh my God, like, what are they talking about? Because they've gone from every string of relationship not spending time on okay why do i react the same way why do i attract the type of men or women in this way why do i do this why do i do that why do i like this job we don't reflect on ourselves right we don't yeah. self-reflect as people but the biggest issue in the world is self-reflection self-awareness bro you can see it from when you're driving when you're put you're dropping your children that's the biggest issue but a lot of that is because we don't spend time with ourselves why because we're really scared to listen to the voice in our head because the voice in our head is going to be very difficult to confront because yes. it's going back to past childhood and going wow what happened was not good you want to listen that ignorance is bliss a majority of human society lives in ignorance oh yeah that's true it's safer that way, to be honest with you. And you only really think about it. The reality is, to heal, it's painful in the short term, um, uh, better in the long term. That's just the way it is. It, the living in your stuff, living in your trauma, living in your pain, living in your ignorance is good in the in the short term, painful in the long term. But for the majority of us, we, we, we prefer that because... Who wants to go through? Who, who wants to go through? Imagine you're stepping on needles. Who wants to go through stepping on needles to get into a beautiful uh, meadow? 
you rather just feel like you're in the meadow right now, right? Yeah. Honest. So if someone told you, you've got to walk through a one meter, that's just too short, one mile of needles, and you're going to need blisters to get to meadow. Majority of us be like, you know what, I'm okay where I am. It's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> and that really is healing. You've got to go through, yeah, you've got to literally go through needles, getting blisters, getting cut out, 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 out. Yeah, no, who wants pain like that? So I get it. I understand that. But that's the reason why the world is messed up, because we are not willing and we are too scared to essentially heal because it is painful. When I say short term, I don't mean like one month. It can be painful quite a few years, because if you've gone through 20, 30, 40 years of trauma, you don't undo that trauma in six weeks. You don't undo that trauma in 12 weeks. So well done that you've gone therapy for 12 weeks, but I'm telling you, you've still got unresolved trauma, mate. 12 weeks is just getting started. Right, you're not even getting started. You haven't even started. You're just getting to know your name. <laughs> you're just trying to, you're, that's, that's literally what's happening. So it takes a long time to undo the pain and the trauma that you experience, that you have experienced, the generation, the intergenerational trauma. You might go, oh, I ain't go through much in life. Cool, but yeah. your mom did, your dad did, your family did. You've got to undo that as well. Yes, you do get to undo that. So with you having that strategy, what could you tell me a little bit more about your mental health planner that you have? Yes, I've got my millennial planner and it's an amazing planner. It um, essentially, um, there's a framework in that, um, the four R's, uh, review, reevaluate, refocus, and I think something else. But essentially, rather than just like free flow writing, it kind of essentially puts you in a mind of constant reflection, constant mm -hmm. reflection. So reviewing, refocusing, um, so that the, your, 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 you're supported in the way you're thinking rather than just free flow. There's free flow. So you can free flow and just kind of brain dump, which is really important. But sometimes it's good to have a bit of a framework and a structure to help you think, not just, oh, write your write gratitude word or whatever that is. That's there as well. But you have a structure in place to kind of help you think daily, weekly, however you want to use that to support your self-development. That is amazing. So could you tell me how can someone get in contact with you just in case they may need your services here in the United States? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And at different times or whatever, because I know London time is completely different. What is it like 2 a.m. there now? Yeah, it's 2 a.m. there. So I guess where are you where are you based? Because you're not EST, you're CST. So. No, I'm CST. Oh, you're EST. Yes. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Because, yeah, because 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 9, 10, 11, 12. So five, well, five hours ahead. In, in next week, we'll be four hours ahead because we go backwards. We're going to go backwards on Sunday. So we're, we're five hours ahead. So it, it can work. Um, it definitely works because we know, you know, organizations and companies, you know, you can work with people all over. So... You know, and my team is is spread out as well. So maybe not my therapy team, but all my other services that I do, you know, um, is spread out. So you could work with somebody that's, you know, on the same kind of time zone as you and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, essentially, as I said, contact me. The best way to contact me is via Ngozi Cadmus, N-G-O-Z-I-C-A-D. MUS, then you can go into all of my other platforms. Probably easier from there to go into all of my other platforms and think. And I really, really want to work with obviously women of faith to help them become the leaders that you're, they're called to be. I want to help black women become the leaders that they're called to be um, within their careers, within business, within every sphere of life. I want to work with organizations to really future-proof um, their, their culture, to make it inclusive, um, especially for black women and black people to be seen at all levels in the organization. And also, I want us to harness our creative power and to take personal agency and responsibility to heal so that we can be greater than our ancestors and have have you know provide a a better future for the next generation so yeah i would love you know more discussions more conversations reach out to me my team will get back to you and we can yeah do some interesting work together yes that was amazing i really appreciate you being on life her podcast tonight sharing so much information on people to heal and you don't play no game. So 
they people need to hit you up and go ahead and be with you and hold that accountability because you're gonna make them hold it. <laughs> yes, you gotta hold the thing, yeah. You gotta hold it. <laughs> I'm a straight shooter, so I try to, you know, be caring and considerate. But so there are many therapists that are, you know, that is me, you know. Um, um you gotta you gotta be yourself at all times. That's the only way people will respect it. They may get upset later, but in a in a due time they'll circle back around be like look you were very honest exactly and i'm not for everyone once you the, the part of my journey is even being a therapist is being okay that like i'm not for everyone i have had consultation and the people don't come back i've actually had people that because of my you know i said this is what this needs to happen the person was like oh can i have another therapist i was like no i'm the only therapist that can really work with you so if you don't have me you got to go to another organization because i knew what he needed and as i knew what he needed not but i knew that he needed a lot of support because he had severe mental health issues and you don't just work really nearly when someone's dealing with psychosis like that and as a mental health social worker that's what i deal every single day so but he i guess he wanted a more softer approach which is fine if that's what he needed it's fine so you know i'm okay with that so same as a coach the same as in an organization i'm not for everyone but for those that i'm for yeah yes i'm here yes. <laughs> well thank you so much i appreciate you thank you thank you Yvette. thank you everyone and i cannot wait to to chop it up in the dms and and all of that stuff when people message me yes and make sure you get you some rest girl I will go. I'm gonna take off this makeup. I'm gonna jump into the bath and then sleep. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye.